Alrighty, hello again, everyone. Welcome to what it is, the Eric Hunter Podcast for the 8th of March, 2022. Happy, what the hell is it, Wednesday to you. Still a rerun. I've decided I'll be back on Thursday on the podcast. I'll be back on when to, no, Friday on the podcast, Thursday on the radio. Uh, they go hand in hand. I just haven't been following the news. And I got to get back in the swing of things. So, uh, Plus, my, my, voice sound, my voice sounds extra sexy. That's why there's an itch in there. There's a tickle. I don't know what the hell it is. So there's that. Um, and I'm eating a Halls right now. If it sounds rude, sorry. <clears throat> but it does allow me to not cough. So I've decided that uh, I do something. That I, it's not a rerun. Although it's an old show. It's just not a show that I did on here or on my radio show. It's when I filled in for Rush Limbaugh. On November 27th, 2000, I think it was 2021, and I filled in for 2020, 2021, I think it was 2021, yeah, it had to have been 2021, when I filled in, was it, yeah, no, wait, maybe 2020, no, yeah, no, I think it was 2020, whatever, it's been a while, it's the only time I filled in for Rush, because sadly Rush passed away shortly after I filled in for him friend of mine who worked for Rush, I mentioned to him in a phone call a couple weeks ago that, you know, I didn't even have a copy of the show that I did when I filled in for Rush. And so he went into the archives that they have, wherever they are, and he still works for the company, and found it and sent it to me. So I am grateful for that. And so uh, since it's long, I don't even think, I haven't listened to it except for the intro where I sound nervous as hell, but um, only because I was. It's like 20 million people heard that song, that theme song, and were simultaneously disappointed when they heard my voice and not Rush's. But um, I'm gonna, I, I think it has, might have commercial. I don't know what the hell it has. I think it's a long show, whatever it is. I'm not going to listen to it. Um, what I'm going to do is just cut it in half. So half today, half tomorrow, why? Because why not? When's the last time you heard me or really anybody fill in for Rush, for being honest? God, miss that guy too. Um, so, yeah, I'll be back on Friday, and I'm sure I'll catch up with what the hell's going on in the world by then and uh, hopefully have something profound to say that will make sense of all of this, but I doubt it because... Human beings have been trying for a hell of a lot longer than I've been alive, and we haven't done a very good job of it. So what are you going to do? And hopefully my voice, although, you know, it does sound a little sexy, and now okay, it's crying at me. Uh, it does sound a little bit sexy. So anyway, I appreciate your patience. So, yeah, here is part one. I think I'm just going to cut it in half of me filling in for Rush Limbaugh. Sitting in for Rush, a noted author who's also a senior columnist for townhall.com. He's the host of his own show on WCBM in Baltimore. Ladies and gentlemen, Derek Hunter. Holy cow. It just got real, didn't it? <laughs> Welcome to the Rush Limbaugh show. I am not decidedly not Rush Limbaugh. It is an honor to be here. I'm Derek Hunter. And wow, you know, you hear that song your whole life basically while driving in a car sitting there at home whatever and, and to hear on this end of it is is as scary as i thought it would be if it sounds as though i'm nervous it's only because i am uh let me just take a second before we get into anything else and there is a lot to get into holy frank tanana it is a busy news day even though it is should be a slow news day but that's just not the way the last four years have worked i've got to to pay homage to rush just because well as you heard Johnny Donovan, uh, John, Don, uh, Johnny Donovan tell in the open, I have my own radio show, which again is really cool. To him. I'm gonna, I want that to be a ringtone. Um, 
I have my own radio show on WCBM in Baltimore, and uh, the whole genre, everybody who has a radio show pretty much owes it to Rush. He created it. You sit there and you say, well, how do you pay tribute to Rush? What do you say to a guy? He's the Henry Ford of talk radio. He created the industry. And for him to say, here are the keys to the to the Camaro, don't scratch it, is a thrill and terrifying simultaneously. So uh, thank you to Rush. We can't replace him. We can only fill his chair for a day or two, and uh, he'll be back here on Monday to undo any damage that I do throughout the next three hours. The number to be a part of the show is always, again, saying this really cool, 800-282-2882. And uh, it's open line Friday, so pretty much anything goes. Like I said, we've got a lot to get to today. You want to chime in on that? Absolutely, you're welcome to, or anything else if you are out there doing the Black Friday. A little bit about me. I grew up in Detroit. So if you watched football yesterday, I apologize on behalf of the city. <laughs> Man, I always say that uh, it's a joke because and it's funny because it's true. I grew up in Detroit. We don't have a professional football team. We just have the Lions. And, yeah, so sorry, America, about that. <laughs> Unless you're a fan of the Texans, which who's a fan of the Texans? So we ruined your early dinner, and the, the late game wasn't much more exciting. But, yeah, I grew up in Detroit. I moved to Baltimore. I went to Wayne State University in downtown Detroit. Grew up in a small town called Redford that nobody's ever heard of. It's easier to just say to Detroit because it's six blocks outside of Detroit off of Eight Mile Road. So, yeah, me and Eminem didn't know each other at all. But um, he actually grew up on the other side of Eight Mile, which is the good side of Eight Mile. I grew up on the bad side of Eight Mile. But uh, I majored in theater at first, which is... Uh, Scary. Don't let your children grow up to major in theater, ever. After a year of that, I decided that I couldn't stand the phony people. The girls were good-looking, but the people were so phony that I went into politics. Yeah, so, again, not the brightest bulb on the tree, but it worked out. Got a job at the Heritage Foundation. Pretty much done everything you... Just, I've had more jobs than most families have had. Last count, I think it was 73 jobs. This might be 74 filling in for Rush once. So, yeah, if you name it, I was a maid for an hour. Roofing was one thing I did for a long time. If it, if you had to shower after it, I had that job. And, if you had, and then eventually I learned to move into showering before a job when I did. Kind of the grunge era, nobody era, really nobody showered. But I moved to Baltimore, worked in Washington, D.C., been involved in politics and news ever since, and... Here I am. I write columns three three days a week, four days a week for townhall.com. And I host a podcast called, appropriately enough, the Derek Hunter Podcast, which, you know, they had the name first. So it worked out for me. It is Black Friday. It's weird being here. It's weird being anywhere on Black Friday because I uh, I used to be one of those people. My uh, My shopping year revolved around Black Friday. I absolutely loved it. I was in my trampling shoes. I'd go out and I'd knock people over. 50 bucks off a TV, elbow to the throat, whatever it took. And this year, it's off. It's online. And there are some stores open. I saw some pictures of some kids who will probably never kiss a girl sleeping outside a GameStop to buy a PlayStation 5. But I don't judge them. That's not judging. That's just being poignant. they got to learn sooner or later. But that's it. You know, I, you know, it's just a different world thanks to COVID. And boy, how do we have some news on COVID as well. But I want to stick to the Thanksgiving theme as hypocritical politicians jet off around the country and sit there and say, don't you dare go visit family. Now I'm hopping on this plane. I got to get out of here because I'm going over to grandma's house. It really was one of those days for absolute total hypocrisy. I mean, it's been, a, it's been a season for hypocrisy. That's kind of what the leftist does. It's, it's, it's hypocrisy. There's a great book called um, Do As I Say, Not As I Do, Profiles in Liberal Hypocrisy by Peter Schweitzer, long before he became wildly famous over Clinton Cash and the book on the Bidens and everything. He wrote this, and it's, it's probably 15, 20 stories in it about various left-wing political figures who are like, oh, uh, preach. They love to preach. Boy, how do they love to preach? 
But uh, they don't actually live that way. For example, he's got stories about Michael Moore, union busting on his old TV show, TV Nation. Kind of a big deal. You're a big pro-union guy, but you threaten to fire people if they join a union when they work on your TV show. The Kennedys, no bigger proponents of the inheritance tax. And their money is all in tax-free shelters, and it's handed down generation to generation without paying any taxes on it because they're, they're above the law. Laws are for the little people. So hypocrisy is nothing new for the left. Gavin Newsom out in California going, hey, let's, let's have a party. Let's go to the most expensive restaurant in the country and uh, sit inside. And we'll have a blast. And the bar tab, something like $1,500. I don't even know how. And, well, speaking of the Kennedys, they could probably do it. But otherwise, I don't know how anybody can get a $15,000 bar tab. How do you do that? Give me your most expensive bottle. I want to throw it against the wall and then keep bringing them until I throw my shoulder out and need Tommy John surgery. That's about it. So there's that out in California. Then we had uh, Governor Super Mario on steroids up in New York. Andrew Cuomo, don't see your family, don't see your family. Now my mom's coming over, you got to go. People said, wait a second, that's not right. So he reluctantly canceled it, although I wouldn't be surprised if there was some sneaking in there. I wish somebody had been camped out in front of all of these people's houses. The media scolds who sit there and tisk tisk you that you want to see your family on Thanksgiving, give you those monologues and lectures. I want to see if they had anybody over. Of course, we'd have to have an honest media for that. So that wasn't likely to happen anyway. Then we have the mayor, Mayor Michael Hancock of Denver. He took it to a new level, which is, you know, usually the coastal guys are the ones who are really stepping in it. But uh, Michael Hancock said, I got this. Hold my beer. He told everybody, stay home. Don't see family. Don't do this. Don't do that. You've got to do this, that, and the other thing. It's for the safety of the people of Denver. It's for the safety of people of Colorado. Then after issuing a tweet saying just as much, he hopped on a plane and flew off to see his mom in Mississippi. <laughs> it's like, what? Huh? And then, of course, he issued the, uh, the, the apology. I fully acknowledge that I have urged everyone to stay at home and avoid unnecessary travel. I have shared how my family canceled our plans for our traditional multi-household Thanksgiving celebration. What I did not share, but should have, is that my wife, my daughter, uh, and my daughter have been in Mississippi, where my daughter recently took a job. And as the holiday approaches, I decided it would be safer for me to travel to see them than to have two family members travel back to Denver. Wouldn't it have been safer? And you've been telling everybody pretty much stick in place. Yeah, he has, but rules for thee and not for me. I recognize that my decision has disappointed many who believe it would have been better to spend Thanksgiving alone. Yeah, like you'd been lecturing everybody else. Exactly like that. As a public official whose conduct is rightly scrutinized for the messages it sends to others, I apologize to the residents of Denver who see my decision as conflicting with the guidance to stay at home for all but essential travel. Are there residents of Denver who see his conflicting, their decision conflicting with the guy, not conflicting with it? Like, well, this is exactly in line with, with his order to stay home, him going somewhere. I made my decision as a husband and a father, and for those who are angry and disappointed, I humbly ask you to forgive decisions that are born of my heart and not of my head. By the way, if you leave your house, I'll give you a $1,500 fine and up to 30 days in prison. He didn't say that last part, but he wanted to. Hypocrisy. Thanksgiving. This is the problem. This is the left. Hypocrisy. Anger. Resentment. Division. This is who they are as people, as human beings. It's very weird to watch these people talk about tolerance when they are the least tolerant people on earth. Of course, it was a day that ends in Y, so there were riots across the country. There was burning. There was smashing. There was statues being torn down. New York Post has this story. Anti-Thanksgiving protests erupt in several U.S. states overnight. And they go to, of course, the first place they cite is Portland. That's what happens. It's, oh, it's a day that ends in Y. The sun is up. Let's go burn something. Well, you know, there's a statue. Let's tear it down. Who's it up? Doesn't matter. Let's rip it down. 
Post reports, vandals went on anti-Thanksgiving and anti-colonial crime sprees in several U.S. states, smashing and defacing storefronts and toppling a war memorial overnight Thursday. Well, don't you feel safer now? Doesn't that feel great? I love that, because it was anti-Thanksgiving. Now, really, the only thing that was anti-Thanksgiving is in addition to their F the police and F Donald Trump spray painting and the USA is terrible and anti-police spray painting, is they also threw in a blank Thanksgiving, too. I guess it's nice. They're mixing their bag up, doing something new. At least 10 businesses in Portland, including a Chase Bank and a New Seasons Market along Hawthorne Boulevard, had windows broken and messages like, Land Back, 1637, and F Thanksgiving spray painted along their walls, according to local reports. Again, they just threw in Thanksgiving. The rest of those messages are the exact same as they always are. That's who the left is. That's where the left is. They talk about... The Democrats, I mean, for God's sakes, we just had a campaign where they're like, we're going to bring the country together. We've got to bring the country together. And then you sit there and you listen to the rest of what they say. We will unite the country with those racist, sexist, homophobe, Islamophobe, xenophobe things. What? Why would we want to unite with you? What are you offering in return? That you will continue to call us horrible things that are lies? That you, you'll only smack us on every other Tuesday? Taco Tuesday and, you know back of the hand thursday like what do we why would we unite with you how does somebody unite with you and the fact is they don't want to unite with you they don't want to bring this country together they despise this country as evidenced by well pretty much everything out of their mouths except for maybe out of joe biden's mouth because it's hard to tell he can't really string together a coherent sentence but i figure somewhere in that word salad he tosses is the hatred of the country that the left fully thoroughly embraces but I, uh, I just want to point out something, because you, you hear this all the time from the left, that this country is fundamentally racist. It's fundamentally, it's founded on racism. My God, the 1619 Project, they just went absolutely nuts. So I, I, I want to give you something, and I've never done this before, but I've never spoken to 25 million people before. And I'm going to read just a, I'm actually just going to crib notes from my book, Outrage Incorporated, How the Liberal Mob Ruined Science, Journalism, and Hollywood, to give you an counter-argument to all of these leftists who talk about how god-awful racist this country is. It's not to say racism doesn't exist. It absolutely does. In a nation of 330 million people, you're going to get every flavor of person and every problem on the planet. But to give it some perspective, I think that's wildly, wildly important. The uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, which the left loves to cite, they just they, they put out a press release like, oh, God, we love the... We love the Southern Poverty Law Center because all they do is attack, attack conservatives and label them racists, which gives leftist media cover to say it's not us saying it, it's the Southern Poverty Law Center. They estimated in 2016 that there are between eight and five and 8,000 members of the KKK in the country. Now, that's, you know, that's a wide range, average about 6,500. It's the granddaddy of the racist organizations, Democratic militant wing back in the day. But it's important to note that the granddaddy, that in 1916 had 4 million members, I believe, a century later had 6,500 on average. And to give that more perspective, that same year, 2016, the WNBA, the least popular professional sport, if you can call it that, they celebrated that year as a wild success because their average attendance at a home game, which I guess every game's a home game to somebody, was 7,655. That means, on average, Southern Poverty Law Center says about 6,500 members of the KKK in the country, and the WNBA had 1,155 more people at an average home game of the least popular sport on the planet Earth. Whereas a century earlier, there were millions of members of the Klan. If that is not progress, if that's not something worth celebrating, then nothing is worth celebrating. But to hear the left tell it, it's gotten worse. It's way worse. How did they do that? Well, they created things like microaggressions and things like that. Things that are so so subtle that you don't even know you're being racist, and the person you're being racist to doesn't even know you're being racist to them. But some impartial, woke, third-party observer can sit there and fold their arms and tisk tisk and go, you really shouldn't have said it that way. It's too cis-normative and heteronormative or whatever terms they make up 
So what I'm basically boiling it down to is this Thanksgiving, be thankful for this country. Be thankful for liberals exposing themselves so freely and willy-nilly, but never, ever lose sight of the truth that this country is the greatest on the history of the planet. And amazing. The only country in the world where where you are born, the station in which you are born, has nothing to do with where you end up in life. I, the son of an auto worker and a disabled mother, neither of whom graduated high school, are sitting behind the golden EIB microphone talking to 25 million people. If I can do that, you can do anything. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Rush Limbaugh program. I'm Derek Hunter, sitting in the big chair behind the golden EIB microphone, still shaking like a leaf. The number to be a part of it on Open Line Friday, which is another cool thing, is 800-282-2882. Uh, I, I promise we'll get to your phone calls this hour because it is Open Line Friday. It's, your, it's Russia's show. I'm just keeping the seat warm. But just a couple more things on this division left. And it'll be a theme that I'll return to because it's something that absolutely drives me nuts constantly. I, we're all one, but we have to look at you this way. They define you as by your gender, by your skin color, by your ethnicity, by whatever. Whatever you decide, they find new and creative ways to divide people up. We used to be a melting pot. Remember that? Now we're a series of chafing dishes, and they just manipulate everybody around because it's much easier to divide and conquer. It's, there's no saying unite and conquer. That wouldn't work. So I'm looking at the, the news the other day, and I see this thing, Multicultural News Network. I'm like, what are you talking about? Some of the Multicultural News Network, a television channel focusing on diverse content and voices, will launch in the second half of 2021. Well, that's a long telegraphed punch. But they say they'll produce daily newscasts. It's going to be a cable channel, apparently, quote, serving multicultural communities, including but not limited to blacks, Hispanics, LGBTQ communities, Asians, Native Americans, People of Middle East and people of Middle Eastern descent. You sit there and you see this, and you're like, I, I don't really care. Generally, it's just so weird about the bifurcation of society by the left as they're calling for unity. Every and it's across the media. NBC News has NBC News Black, NBC News Hispanic, Fox News has NBC News Hispanic, as if like the news is different based upon what your ancestors did. Uh, centuries ago, where they came from. Mine started off in Poland and pretty much would go as far west as they could, stop, mate, send their kids west. So I'm pretty much everything over there. But none of it matters to who I am. What my parents did to me, and thank God they did it to me, matters to who I am. It should be the same to you. So they just keep on dividing. i got a lot more to say, including something that's, I think, pretty damn funny. Coming up after after news. I'm Derek Hunter filling in for Rush Limbaugh. And now back to Derek Hunter filling in for Rush on the EIB Network. Well, I'd say that never gets old, but it's brand new. So it's not, it'll, it'll still never get old, but it sounds weird to say it after it's only the second time with Johnny Donovan here saying your name. I am Derek Hunter. This is the Rush Limbaugh program. It's open line Friday, 800-282-2882. The telephone number from anywhere in this great country. And it really is great. And before we get to your phone calls on open line Friday, I want to, I promised, uh, I teased that uh, I'd give you a little funny story about my thoughts on, on this it's just garbage of, of ethnic identity and nationalism, and or not nationalism, but um, the division of the left. I find it exemplified in what used to be one of those old, uh, not old, it's like a year old, ads for the, the spit in the tube and find out your, your DNA history. You know, like, oh, you swab the cotton in there. It's like a COVID test, except you, you miss your nose and you go in your mouth. And they'll tell you, well, you're this much of that one and this much of the other one. And the one guy in the commercial where he's sitting there is like, well, I grew up, we were all German. We dance around in lederhosen and eat wiener schnitzel and invade Poland and Czechoslovakia and hate France. And then I did the spit in the tube and I found out that I'm Scottish. So now I eat haggis and, and wear kilts. And all, and like, is your identity really? That's kind of the problem. It's kind of liberalism where you're just like, that's, that's who you are. It's, it's not who you are. It's decidedly not who you are. Who you are is who you are. What you do is who you are. 
your acts, your experience are the culmination of all of those things are who you are. And the bad mistakes you've made and you've learned from them, hopefully. And the good things you've done and you learn from them, hopefully. Sadly, that's what I really despise about liberalism is it is so desperate to absolve people of any responsibility for their bad decisions, to insulate people from their bad decisions. So what do you get with that? You subsidize something, you get more of it. You insulate people from the consequences of their actions. What happens? You get more of it. Oh, I can go out and I can take $250,000 out in student loans to go to Smith College and major in gender grievance studies. And wow, there's not a whole lot of jobs in that field. Starting salary is $22,000. What am I going to do with this $250,000 in debt? And then in comes big government. Don't worry. Here's a lollipop, pat you on the head. We'll absolve you of it. It's not your fault. How could you have possibly done a simple Google search to find out the starting salaries of your field of study? Who would have ever thought that going to one of the most expensive colleges in the country was a bad idea for an unmarketable degree? We've got you. And then you start seeing people looking to government to take care of them. It's insidious. It's subtle. It's not all, that's, that's one of the more obvious ways, but the school lunch program, now the school breakfast program. Oh, so kids learn what? That the government feeds them in the morning and in the afternoon, and they'll stay open in the summer, and they'll feed them then. And you sit there and you think, logically, what is, what is food stamps for? What is welfare for? We're giving parents money to feed these kids and house these kids, and then we're saying, but don't worry, we'll do it for you. So what does that mean? The mom sleeps in, the dad sleeps in. You can get up and make a bowl of oatmeal. You can, you know, make an egg. You can make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I had, you know, brown bag lunches every day. My mother had one leg. She had her right leg amputated when I was nine. Every day I went to school with a brown bag and had two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or bologna and barbecue sauce, don't get me started, or something else. And like a hostess treat. One day a week, I was allowed to buy lunch. That was it. Wasn't living high on the hog, but I was living, and most importantly, I learned that my parents cared enough to do that for me. If it was just go to there, tell them your free lunch, and that's it. We probably could. We might have qualified. I don't know. There were free lunchers, but we weren't going to do that. Changed and shaped who I am. And that's a hell of a lesson to learn rather than suckling the government teeth, going, don't worry. They're going, They'll make breakfast for you at school. Now get out of my room. I'm trying to sleep. And that doesn't really tell your kid a whole lot. Good, anyway. Anyway, let us get to the phones. This is the Rush Limbaugh Show, and it is Open Line Friday, 800-282-2882. Scott in Miami, Florida. We start with you. Not much nicer weather than where I am. Hello, Scott. Welcome to the Rush Limbaugh good Show. Al- good afternoon, Mr. Hunter. Thank you for taking yep. my call. Yep. I want to tell you that uh, after... Uh, Trump lost, Biden is president. It doesn't matter if you put Elmer Fudd in, this, in the White House. This country is done for, and let me explain what I mean by that. Right. We have 80 million people, 70, 80, 90 million people unemployed. 2020 is going to look like nothing when 2021 comes around. Uh, people can't pay their bills, their mortgages, everything is shut down. The stock market is phony. It's, 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 it's overblown. You've got a dollar that's going to become worthless because the Federal Reserve keeps printing up trillions and trillions. Well, you of do have to be wary of the Federal Reserve. You can go on eBay right now, and for like fifteen bucks, you can buy a hundred trillion dollar bill from Zimbabwe yeah. that was legal currency at one point. So I take your point on that one. I got to take issue with you, though, Scott, on the idea that we're done for. We're never well, done. Let me explain. For. Well, let me explain well, what I mean by that. We're done for in the sense that our political leaders have turned our backs. The American people have tyranny for government. When you have a Federal Reserve that is controlled by international Jewish bankers. All right. That's enough, Scott. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, It was only a matter of time, wasn't it? It's open line Friday. But, yeah, no, this country is not done for. This is the United States of America. We can pull our butts together. The problem is that we have to have the will to do it. And Republicans are very good at mouthpieces and saying, we've got, we've got to do this, we've got to be fiscally responsible. Unfortunately, they're really good at it when they're not in power, the vocalizing it. When it comes time to governing that way, they become less good. But as we have churn and burn in members of Congress, we get more conservatives in there and people who recognize the problems in this country that are spending and you can't dig your way out of a hole, then, yes, 
we can get some fiscal sanity. It's just a matter of, you know, being on the front deck of the Titanic and seeing the iceberg. Can you make it up to the wheelhouse in time to warn them? Because that iceberg doesn't swerve. And debt sooner or later will become seriously problematic. I feel bad for having two daughters, three and a two-year-old. And we've already spent their money. Their kid, they're going to have to have kids to inherit the debt that we're incurring now. Now, COVID is a separate special circumstance. It's a once in a century, hopefully, fingers crossed thing. So some of the spending is understandable, but it's also a great opportunity for conservatives to make a case in liberal states, in blue states, to say, look, because the Democrats just want to bail everything out. Like we've been spending like drunken sailors for decades. Our public sector unions are through the roof. pensions are through the roof. And we we just keep kicking the can and doing accounting gimmicks that if you did it at your Fortune 500 company, you'd be thrown in jail for. Like Bernie Madoff is, is a piker compared to what the government does in their accounting schemes. And then you say, well, Nancy Pelosi wants to bail out the states. It's only fair. It's only right. Then you see stories out of California and out of Michigan. Now, these are only two states. This is sort of a new field of study. So I assume there's more where they're paying unemployment benefits to people who have no business being on unemployment. Scott Peterson, for God's sakes, is out in California. He was collecting unemployment benefits in California. Murder. He's doing life in prison without parole. He might have gotten the death penalty, but I think it's life in prison without parole. And ABC or NBC4 out in California, at least 35,000 unemployment claims filed on behalf of California prison inmates, including Scott Peterson. More than a billion dollars in total. They paid at least $140 million in benefits to 158 claims that have been filed for 133 inmates just on death row. And we've got to bail that out? How about you figure out when the hell's going on in your house first, okay? Then over in Michigan, my home state, audit. Michigan may have paid out $1.5 billion in fraudulent unemployment claims. Director reportedly said that it was, quote, not a high priority. Fraud, not a high priority. A billion and a half dollars. Well, what is, what, how much are they asking for for the bailouts? I think they're asking for like four or five billion dollars. Well, right there. I'm all for helping when you can. All right. In this circumstance, sure, we probably have to do something for some of the states and localities, but that shouldn't be the A plan. That shouldn't be number one on the bucket list. It should be you get your house in order. Somebody's coming into your house, a friend, a degenerate friend you went to high school with and goes, hey, I need 10 grand. Like, well, what do you need 10 grand for? I have to get a car. If I don't get a good car, I'm never going to be able to get a job. Like, I don't really want to loan you 10 grand there, Jimmy. Make up a name. I don't know, man. And you finally agree to it. Okay. And then the next day, you see Jimmy come up, and he's got his new car, but then he's also got a motorcycle. And he's, you know, putting a new roof on his house. And he's, he's got some new clothes. And you're like, what in the hell, man? Like, well, no, no, I used your money to buy the car. I got, I used my money to, to buy this other stuff. And I kind of wanted this stuff for a while, needed a new roof, always wanted a motorcycle. It, suddenly you go, wait a second. What the hell? You spent seven grand on all this other stuff, and you borrow ten grand from me to borrow a car. I'm making these numbers up, but make them buy a junker. But you get the point. Okay, if you want me to help you, you got to help yourself first, Jimmy. You can come up with seven grand. We can talk about three, something like that. Well, California, New York, Michigan. You want billions of dollars from us? You got to convince me. You got to prove to me that you went through your budget line by line and you found every damn nickel that fell between the couch cushions in every office in your Capitol building that you are squeezing that sucker for its dear life and you're taking back everything you possibly can and you're tightening your belt as much as possible and then we can help you maybe with the rest. We can make you help you close the gap, but we're not going to go right off the bat and just, you know, sit there. How much you want? How much you want? I mean, just write this. I'm just going to leave the check blank. I'm just going to sign it right there, Uncle Sam. And here you go. Cash it. Cash it at your whim. No. No. Hell no. Uh, let's go back to the phones. My mouth does tend to get the best of me, and I apologize. Ah, well, you know what? You're right. Bo, we'll go to a break. The number 800-282-2882. This is Derek Hunter. I'm sitting in, unbelievably, for Rush Limbaugh. We'll be right back. You're listening to the EIB Network. 
And President Trump tweeted today that he's heading down there. He does not support this idea, this crackpot idea of boycotting the vote. He's going to go down there and campaign for both Purdue and Leffler, which is great. But right now, Mitch McConnell shouldn't be in Georgia. Mitch McConnell should be in West Virginia. He should be sitting in the driveway of the House of Joe Manchin saying, what committee chairmanship do you want? You can have any of them, all of them. Switch parties now. That's what he should be doing. Yeah, that's that. That's a good good idea. You know, I had a thought the other day, and I um um with you know this society is a hyphenated society, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that the people that they say are minorities are the people they hyphenate the most. The first the first reference they make is not American. You're American. After such and such. Well, I would I would take a little bit of issue with that, Sean, in that it is the left. It is the left that does that. It doesn't matter what it's not necessarily any skin color. It's leftist. There's a study out of Pew Research that came out uh, August 11th. I just happened to have it opened. Because one of the reasons, one of the things Democrats are doing right now, Sean, is trying to figure out how it was Donald Trump did so well. That racist Donald Trump did so well with Hispanic voters. Really, really well. And there was this uh, poll by uh, Pew that found that most Latinos, adults, have never heard the word Latinx or Latinx or whatever. I don't even know which one it is. And they they said 76% of Hispanics had never even heard of the term. Uh, 23% had used or had heard of it. And only 3% of Hispanics used the term Latinx. Yet you turn on MSNBC, you follow AOC and her tweets, you follow any of the, the gang of four or the squad or whatever the hell they are out there in their tweets. It's Latinx, 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 blah, 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 blah. And people sit there and they go, what in the hell? Who are, why are you changing this? What is going on here? And they're getting sick of it to a certain extent. Donald Trump doesn't care. Republicans don't care by and large. And they don't pander, which is great which is wonderful, which is the way you combat this kind of stupidity and division. Just the, your person. Are you a jerk or not a jerk? That's all I care about. All right. Appreciate the call, Sean. Let's get to that time. Jeremy in Charlotte, North Carolina. You're next on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Hello, Jeremy. Hey, Derek. Hey. Um, question for you is it's it's been about two weeks now since the election. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, to me, the only place I seem to be able to go to get a constant stream about the fraud that happened is Twitter and Parler. Um, it seems like not just the mainstream media, but even, you know, my the, the people that I listen to regularly, hardcore conservatives, are not, uh, I look at this as the absolute biggest issue of our time mm-hmm. and so important, but there's only a few weeks, four or five weeks to kind of make everything happen. And it just seems like this should be topic number one. And there's so many dimensions to this, with Dominion and dead people voting and all the different well, this things is, where this happened. Uh, one thing it, I, it, I say, Jeremy, is far too many conservatives and Republicans look at Election Day as a finish line. And Democrats don't. It's not. It's a checkpoint. It's an endless marathon. It never stops. It's just a checkpoint. So Republicans will go, whoosh, dust their hands off going <laughs> elections over we did really well in the house blah 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 let's go let's go to an island somewhere and have a vacation and just get ready for the next congressional session whereas democrats are already plotting and planning what's happening right now and we'll get into it in the next hour we have a member of the uh, pennsylvania co- uh, congress coming on to talk about what's going on but uh, to put a fine point on what you were saying jeremy most people will not know this name gregory senstrom Gregory Sandstrom is a Navy veteran. He's a forensic computer scientist. He testified up in Pennsylvania on Wednesday at the big hearing they had. We'll have audio coming up. But he had bombshell information. He was a Republican poll watcher. He saw a lot of weird things, documented it. He's a Navy veteran. He's a well-respected man in the field. And I decided, gathering this audio for the show today, I said, well, let's see if... I want to maybe read the New York Times story about him so it's not some conservative site or maybe the Washington Post or maybe NBC News has a thing. So I did a search on Gregory Sendstrom, his name, news, Google. Fox News comes up, WJLA comes up, a story from August, which has nothing, something to do with real estate, and uh, the post-millennial. And then there's a story from the Washington Post from 2017 about Jim Webb. 
that mentions him. No other media outlet bothered to cover not only what Sendstrom said, but that hearing in general where there were really disturbing things may not change the result in Pennsylvania this year, but these things have to result in changes to what goes on in Pennsylvania in the future. Damn well better, or Republicans are screwed, Jeremy. That's the kind of blackout that we're getting. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I hope and pray that behind the scenes there's a lot of fantastic lawyers and just sort of semi-obscure people like that that are just working on this and are going to get the right result at the end of the day. But you know, it's just I hope so. Opinion and just what the narrative is in the country, and it just seems like my gosh, if there's ever time to just put all of our eggs in one basket, put all the energy. Oh, we lose Jeremy. I think we lost Jeremy. But I would, I would love to see personally. These billionaires, these so-called conservative billionaires that are out there, though they give tons of money to the think tanks. Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post for pocket change for him. Buy, get into the media business, okay? Even if it's a loss leader, we need to get some honest journalism, some honest reporting going on out there. It shouldn't be a struggle. We shouldn't have to read between the lines to get to the news. Anyway, we'll we'll step away here. I'm Derek Hunter, sitting in for Rush Limbaugh. We'll be right back. You're listening to the EIB Network. I was just corrected via email. The guy's name is Stenstrom, not Sendstrom. I dropped the T. I have dyslexia. What do you want from me? Plus, I've been drinking all morning. Just mostly kidding. Uh, coming up in the next hour, we'll get to more of your phone calls. We're going to be joined by a representative from the state of Pennsylvania, and the Pennsylvania State House can do things about this mess that we're talking about and all sorts of other news. We'll give you the latest developments on that hearing that happened, uh, this disturbing hearing that happened up in Pennsylvania on Wednesday. I'm Derek Hunter filling in for Rush. We'll be back. Sitting in for Rush, a noted author who's also a senior columnist for townhall.com. He's the host of his own show on WCBM in Baltimore. Ladies and gentlemen, Derek Hunter. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Rush Limbaugh Show. I am Derek Hunter, sitting in for Rush today. First time jitters. Still there. I'll carry him throughout the show. That's just how I roll. Fear not, though, Rush will be back here on Monday. I'll give you a recap Everything I missed, we missed three hours. He's right. Three hours is never enough, to, especially in the last uh, four years, which seems like 400 years. It's open line Friday. means you get to pick the topics. When you get through, you got to get past Bo Snurdly, though. The number, 800-282-2882. I want to talk about Pennsylvania. I want to talk about the election in general. I don't know whether or not it was stolen. It sure as hell seems really, really suspicious that there would be 80 million people in this country looking at Joe Biden hiding in his basement for six months and Kamala Harris not doing one single press conference, no scrum, nothing, and say, I got to have that. I really got to have that. That's that's for me right there. When Joe Biden opens his mouth and he loses his train of thought before it even gets out of the station and you sit there and you think, who who looks at that and goes, more please, more please. Maybe Comedy Central, but they don't really do comedy anymore, so they probably wouldn't either. That's why it's just curious to think that not only did Joe Biden do better than Barack Obama did, he did better than anybody ever has. Something like 10 or 15 million more votes than Barack Obama. You're telling me in in 2008, Barack Obama on the ballot, the excitement, the it, everybody knew John McCain was going to lose in 2008. It was it was just it was there. The only thing that gave him a chance was Sarah Palin being on the ballot. Conservatives, I mean it was John McCain. He got glowing press coverage by attacking conservatives. So we weren't super excited about voting for him, but we held our breath and did it. But you also, you know, it's like, okay, it's going to be it's going to be Barack Obama, barring a miracle. Well, the miracle didn't happen. Then in 2012, 
Barack Obama actually got fewer votes than he did in 2008, because that's kind of the pattern. Not very many presidents have gone up in subsequent re-election bids. It just so happened that the Republicans didn't. The Republicans kind of got decimated in the Bush years. You had a, a vice president who, you know, I love Dick Cheney, but he didn't want to be president. So there was no heir apparent, which meant it was a free-for-all. Republicans defaulted back to 2000s runner-up and said, all right, you can have it. And then in 2012, it wasn't much better pickings. We ended up with Mitt Romney. All right. Lamb to the slaughter. And Romney had a good debate, and Romney did okay in the campaign. He thought, okay, maybe, just maybe, and then no. Even then, Barack Obama's vote total went down, and you're telling me that people were more excited? And it's not just population growth. Okay, we maybe gained 10 million people in population over that time period. We're expected to believe that something happened to the cities of Detroit, Philadelphia, Atlanta, Milwaukee, where people are just like, I got to I got to have that Biden. I don't know what to tell you. Give me get out of my way. I'd, I'd go trample everybody to get on that Biden. So uh, that's what seems fishy at best, to put it politely, to a lot of us out here. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's maybe true. But what's a kind of a giveaway is when you do just ask basic questions, like scratching your head going, wow, the city of Detroit really went overwhelmingly and in record numbers for a 77-year-old white guy who never really set foot in the city. That's kind of weird. And you ask that question, suddenly you're problematic. Oh, don't, how dare you question it? And by President Trump questioning this and challenging some of the results because there is a lot of fishiness going on, keeping poll watchers out, that massive dumps of votes that went 99% to Joe Biden. Like uh, President asked questions. He's threatening our democracy. It's a threat to our democracy. You know, doing, doing nothing about voter fraud is a threat to our democracy. Doing nothing about anything that's potentially cheapening the votes of Americans is a threat to our democracy. And I want to get in the Wayback Machine here for a second with Cut 7, just because the talking heads, the breathless pearl clutchers, engaging their fainting couch, you can see them collectively, they put the back of their wrist to their forehead, and they engage their fainting couch, and they fan themselves going, oh, well, I never, talking about what is happening right now. They don't remember... 2037 days of Al Gore. That that was, you know, that was I was in college then. That was massive. Nobody was going, my god, it's it's a threat to our democracy. Well, they didn't even, they didn't even bother to say that Al Gore lost his home state, lost his home district that he used to represent in Congress. It was all about Florida and why Al Gore can do whatever he wants to do. We can fully understand that. Then you have 2016 when Donald Trump won. It's like these liberals don't think we remember that. The Internet exists. It's much more ubiquitous than it was in 2001. And all of these talking heads on cable news are aware of the Internet because they're all on the Twitter and the Facebook and they're all touting their following. So that means that there's a massive archive out there of everything that they said. So I just want to play this cut between Chris Hayes and Michael Moore from 2016 to remind everybody that what Donald Trump is doing is not anywhere close in the same time zone, the same hemisphere, as what they were encouraging Hillary Clinton to do and the electors Back in 2016, here's Chris Hayes and Michael Moore hoping, praying, trying to pressure electors, members of the Electoral College to switch their votes. Cut seven. Go ahead. I think there are people who are pushing very hard who think that um, because of some of the constitutional perils of the emoluments clause, uh, because of the popular vote margin, because of um, a fundamental, they think, threat to liberal democracy, that, 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 that electors should be persuaded and pressured on Monday to, to part with what their pledge is and vote, and vote against Donald Trump. Yes, they absolutely you should do so? that. Absolutely. I, I believe right now that there are electors. They only need 38 of them who have a conscience or who are worried about a man who won't attend the daily security briefings, who, uh, who we now know Russia was trying to help get elected. Now that's a lie right there, Michael Moore, lying. He was a member of the liberal elite in good standing, still is. 
Chris Hayes is, you know, goes to the same barber as Rachel Maddow, sitting there encouraging it. Well, now, what have these two and others of their ilk been doing since the election? Donald Trump is refusing to accept the results of the election. It is an outrage. It's a threat to our democracy. These are, of course, the same people that say Donald Trump tweet criticizing the media is a threat to our democracy. Oh, no, our democracy. Our democracy isn't that fragile. The founding fathers were onto something. I realize you lefties don't hold them in any esteem, but uh, they knew what they were doing. You don't, but they did. Don't ever forget that. So as we enter what's going on now, it's important to have that frame of reference of how things were. Just four short years ago, all of these players are still with us. All of these players have just ripped off their one uniform. They took off the visitor's uniform, and now they're wearing the home uniform. They're, they're preaching the exact same opposite, or the exact opposite of what they said back then. Michael Moore was not chastised for threatening our democracy. Chris Hayes was not chastised for threatening our democracy. Not by challenging the results, by saying there was fraud but simply bypassing the votes of the people. Donald Trump is trying to make sure that the actual votes of the people count. That's the difference between 2016 and uh, 2020. Donald Trump wants to make sure they got the vote right, because if you just look at the numbers, it doesn't make any sense. It might be true, but it doesn't make any sense. So trying to make sense of it is part of what separates us from the animals. It's a good thing. We can look at something and understand things and go, how does this, what does this mean? Okay, now I get it. Now we can go on. But asking questions is a hell of a lot different than putting pressure on electors. Jason Alexander, the guy who played George Costanza on Seinfeld, put out a, like a four-minute video on YouTube. It was very, very calm. He was, he was in his room. He's wearing khakis, so you know he was very serious. And he, well, I need to talk to those electors out there. You know this is wrong. You know this is wrong. Hillary got more votes. And so we ask you to, uh, to change your vote in the Electoral College. They were actively, openly lobbying to bypass the will of the people in the various states and go right to the electors. So spare me the pearl clutching, the indignation of, oh, holy Frank Tanana, they're threatening our democracy. No, no, we're not. We're fighting to uphold the democracy because one fraudulent vote disenfranchises one American. One American being disenfranchised is far too many. I look at it the same way I look at, uh, like, the murder of Kate Steinle or anybody, any American murdered by an illegal alien. The left always, whenever there's something, I mean, they refuse to cover Kate Steinle's murder for months and months and months. And they say, when they finally did, they always put the caveat in there. Well, remember, you're more likely to be murdered by an American than you are to be murdered by an undocumented migrant or whatever they happen to be calling them at that given time. And that's true. It's a numbers game. 330 million Americans, 11 million illegal aliens. Just statistically, it goes in that direction. The difference being anybody murdered by an illegal alien wouldn't have been murdered if the illegal alien weren't in the country. See, that's the difference. It's not like that movie Final Destination where it's your time, it's your time, and there's nothing you can do about it. If that illegal alien was not in San Francisco, was not in the United States that day to kill Kate Steinle, Kate Steinle would not have been murdered by somebody else. Somebody wouldn't have stepped up. It wasn't her time. He murdered her. So the same thing goes with voting. The question for leftists on immigration is how many Americans being murdered by illegal aliens is enough. Is there a line somewhere where you suddenly go, now I care. We're at... X number, now it's a problem. And before that, it's all like, well, it doesn't really matter, no big deal. The question for Democrats now on voting is, is how many Americans being disenfranchised, having their votes canceled by illegal votes, is enough for you to start to care? To at least ask questions, to look in and say, wait a second, something isn't right here. This is weird. Everybody can admit it's weird when in the middle of the night, 3.30 in the morning, and suddenly there's a right angle in a graph. That doesn't seem right. When, why did it shoot up? Why are there 100,000 votes for Joe Biden and none for Donald Trump? Because that's not how vote counting works. They don't go, all right, we'll separate them into who gets what, and then we'll count the Biden pile, then we'll count the Trump pile. That's not how vote counting works. Or at least it's not supposed to be. 
so that we have questions is normal. That the left is insisting we not ask those questions is abnormal, which gives rise to a lot of curious head scratching going, wait a second. Why aren't we allowed to ask questions? These are the people who get, uh, you know, question authority tattooed on their their face. These are the people who consider themselves rebels, which is another thing. The left is the ultimate party of conformity, absolute conformity. Yeah, you can put a spike through your head. You can do wear whatever you want. You can claim some new gender you just created and be that. As long as you think the way they say, you'll be fine. But if you happen to be, you know, Thinking for yourself, the calls for tolerance and inclusivity suddenly go the way of the dodo. Ask Clarence Thomas, ask Condoleezza Rice how tolerant the left really is. Really, what they want when they say celebrate diversity is nothing but a bunch of different colored, like-minded drones. You're able to do whatever you want as long as you do what you're told. You're able to think whatever you want as long as you think what we think. That's the modern left. Well, when it comes to this election, no, I got some questions. You got some questions. We demand some answers. We're going to talk to somebody after the news who can maybe hopefully give us some answers. And even if the answer is, hey, it was a fluke, what are you going to do? Joe Biden's wildly popular with young urban kids. Maybe that's the case. But it sure as heck seems like fraud, and we definitely need to make sure that our elections are secure before the next one. If we don't, if we let this sort of, I'll just be generous and call it weirdness, metastasize throughout the rest of the country, Republicans will never win another election again. We can win on fair ground. Hell, Donald Trump can win when he's got $10 billion worth of free media attacks against him from the media itself. You can't beat cheating, though. That's the problem. We have some amazing audio coming up, including and your phone calls at 800-282-2882. I am Derek Hunter. I'm lucky enough to be sitting in for Rush Limbaugh today, who will be back on Monday. We'll be right back after this. When you read the Limbaugh letter, you're prepped to combat liberal madness because El Rushbo supplies you with an arsenal of facts. Subscribe to the print edition of the Limbaugh letter and you'll get free. Rush's dad's famous inspiring speech, Stand Up for America, as founded. The signer secrets that can save us today. Order now at RushLimbaugh.com. You're listening to the EIB Network. Welcome back to the Rush Limbaugh Show. I'm Derek Hunter sitting in breaking news out of Pennsylvania. Good day for Pennsylvania. Federal appeals court rejected an attempt by President Trump, Donald Trump's re-election campaign to uh, Repeal, and this is what CNBC, the effort to undo the results of Pennsylvania's presidential election. We'll have more on this as it develops. That's the latest. Uh, there's always more. There's always more. But let's get to the phones because it is open line Friday, 800-282-2882. We go out to Los Angeles with John. Welcome to the show, John. Yes, Derek. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for making it. <laughs> I wonder if you can name another losing presidential candidate to blame his loss on election fraud. As, well, privately, Richard Nixon in 1960 because of the mob in Chicago. Did Richard Nixon himself blame that well, loss on, on uh, election privately. fraud? I have privately, yeah. Privately, but he didn't go on television. He wasn't the president of the United States. No, but it was Marcus Kingsbury rules back then. It was a different world, John. Can you name another president in the United States who had been routinely called Hitler from the day of his election and on his inauguration day when Chris Matthews called his inauguration address Hitlerian? Oh, wait. Yeah, I no. probably could if I researched it, but but well, that's really not. I don't think that's the. I mean, that's not the president of the United States that's doing that kind of. Uh, well, Joe Biden uh, called him like Goebbels and Hitler this election cycle. So I mean, yeah, let's well, not pretend that that dam like didn't that. break. I will. I I appreciate the call, but I just got to say, 
that, yeah, things are different then. And you want to talk about how things got different. Thanks for the call, John. But let's talk about how things got different, because it was always Marcus of Queensbury rules and everybody's gentlemanly and we must all do this, that and the other thing. And everybody now on the left and the media says, Donald Trump broke all these norms. He ruined all these norms. Oh, can you believe him? And suddenly everybody turns into a cheers patron. Norms, norms, norms. No. And it wasn't that long ago. The word Bush Hitler mean anything to you? One word, two syllables, Bush Hitler. Bush Hitler. They kind of said it like it was one syllable. And the left kind of said, well, we're not going to really talk about that. We're going to let him call him Hitler. Then suddenly, Bush Hitler went away, and Barack Obama came. There was no Obama's Hitler. To the extent that Obama was Hitler existed, it was from the Lyndon LaRouche people. Every once in a while, they'd take a picture in the media and say, look, they've got a picture of Obama with a Hitler mustache. There's conservatives, and then you look, and it's like LaRouche pack down in the corner. Those are lefties. They were crazy. Now they're the mainstream of the Democrat Party. But suddenly, 2016 comes around, and it's Hitler, Hitler, Hitler everywhere you go. Well, that's a norm that was broken. You want to talk about Donald Trump's incivility. One thing I will point out about President Trump is he doesn't hit first. He hits back, and he hits back hard, as he should, as anybody should. But he is not out there picking fights with little old ladies and finding some backbench congressman nobody's ever heard of. He responds. That is maybe a new norm that you don't like if you want to go by Marcus of Queensbury rules, but he isn't out there calling everybody Mao, calling him Stalin, calling him Hitler. That's the left. That's a pretty damn big norm, so that the president kind of groused back at them. Forgive me for not caring. We'll be back.